Hey friends, welcome to the Everyday Mealmanship Podcast. My name is Ty Evans and today I got a special guest for you all. This is my good buddy, Jim Huggard. Thanks for uh, coming on the podcast today, Jim. Glad to be here, Ty. So Jim and I have been friends for a long time. We're going to get to that, um, talking about how we met and everything, because I don't even know. So Jim's going to tell me something I don't know today and and uh but jim is a is a good mule man uh saddle maker he he drives mules um he's a cowboy poet this guy can can do it all so i'm glad to have him here on the podcast today um so jim why don't you just start by introducing yourself um you, there's a lot of listeners here that know you you go down to what's that called caballo Caballo del Sol. Yeah, so you, we got our Arizona ladies here that uh, might know you. But for those that don't know you, why don't you introduce yourself and whatever you'd like to say, Jim. Well, I've just uh, been involved with horses and mules pretty much my whole life. Uh, what got me into mules, I guess, was my brother. Um, I've married my high school sweetheart when I was we dated in high school and much like you Ty we we uh, were young when we got married and and uh, coming up on 48 years and uh, still enjoy the heck out of it when I married my wife she had her own horse and uh, I thought that was pretty cool to marry a a gal that had a horse and uh, she knew how to ride and she enjoyed packing and going places with me, but it seemed like sometimes we always give her a rough horse and <laughs> we wasn't quite into mules. But she's the one that got me into driving. Her dad had a, a pony cart and a pony when she was a, a child, and they still had that pony cart uh, when we got married. Her brother had it. Her family had sold the farm when her father got in poor health, and her brother took the pony cart, and and uh, I got to see her in that pony cart driving it when we were actually even after we were married. So that's why she likes to. She got us into driving in the nineties uh, because, of course, one of my mentors, Mel Anderson, he was into driving and grew up working teams and and uh anyway so that's how we got to where we like to drive is that was a product of my wife and so we like to have a team around and and be able to hitch up i got into saddle making because i'd look around at some of the gear that i really aspired to have and i just flat couldn't afford it so i got friends with people that were were saddle makers and and uh, good craftsmen and uh, I got uh, rubbing shoulders with them hanging out in their shops and then finally began to make my own stuff and it was really a gradual uh, learning curve for me uh, and uh, still learning one of the smartest things I ever did for saddle making was join the Colorado Saddle Makers Association that's a group of people of some of the most premier saddle makers in the West. Uh, Burn Saddlery down here, Matt Weiner, that works for 
works for Burns. He he puts on some of those. Shane Dieter, Dieter Saddlery in, in LaSalle, Utah, is one of the finest saddle makers and boot makers. Uh, I'll throw a plug for Gordon Andrus. Uh, lives here in Utah, one of the finest saddle makers. He's built uh, uh, a lot of really premium saddles. Uh, wrote three books on the subject. I've took classes from Gordon. He's helped me a lot. And so through the Colorado Saddle Makers Association, I've got to rub shoulders with people like those gentlemen. Uh, Bob Clend is another premium saddle maker. And what I like about Bob is Bob's in his 80s now, and I've took several classes from Bob through the Colorado Saddle Makers. And Bob had a, his uh, upbringing was, uh, he worked as a cowboy for Cunningham Ranches down in the Book Cliffs. And so he was down there in the early 50s working for Cunningham's before he became a saddle maker. And he, he had a shop down, I think, in Prescott or Wickenburg, and then he ultimately ended up up, up to Meeker, Colorado, up, up uh, near where his cowboy life began. And so anyway what that's been a real blessing to me to be mentored by people that i admire um and you build some and you build some good gear so uh those of you listening right now i am sitting here in jim's leather shop and it is really cool he's got uh he's got a saddle spread out here that he's building for for our friend uh lyman miller and yep. um Boy, that's some nice stuff sitting here. Good tooling, uh, beautiful carving, gorgeous stuff. And um, Jim does dang good work. Um, he just fit me up with a nice pair of shaps. Excited to to get these. I Well, we, we made a deal, and I was supposed to have them this fall. And then uh, I didn't reckon Jim would get done that quick, but I was, I was on my way and gone by the time he got them done. But they're pretty dang nice. So, Jim, you, you did good work, and... It takes a lot of talent, a lot of work, a lot of practice. Just kind of like the kind of like the mulemanship. You gotta you gotta work at this stuff. That you, you know, you mentioned books and these people that taught you. You know, this leather work just like the mules. Though, if you don't get out and do it, you're never gonna get it. You're never gonna get it unless you do it yourself. Boy, that's a fact, and nobody can do it for you. Nope. I was thinking the other day we were riding down with your father-in-law. Larry Pincock and others down to Bryce Canyon area last week and I got a mule out here that I just have never finished and uh, I got split off the group because she was acting up so I decide, decided to get her off by herself to where she'd start paying attention to me and I was thinking about as the day as yeah, I was by myself for the rest of the ride. I went back to the truck myself. It was a couple of hours. And uh, I was working with getting her to go down a little rock slope. And she was just not wanting to do it. She had the ability to do it, but she didn't know she had the ability. So I had to see if I was smart enough to help her learn that. And, and ultimately, I wasn't. Uh, I, I, yeah so yeah so we've got a lot of work to do i got her i i got her down and back up it a mm -hmm. different way and then when i turned to take her back down the way i originally wanted to go she still 
she still refused. And we worked for a while, and uh, I'm pretty patient, and, and I'm also uh, persistent, but she, unfortunately, she won that one. <laughs> so... You're uh, not patient and persistent enough, huh? Yeah. So, well, I was thought I would be too late getting back to the truck, oh, yeah. and I didn't want to yep. didn't want to hold hold things up. That time will always get yep. you on it. Yep. So, sometimes with mules, and I thought about this. It's kind of a metaphor, but what they've taught me more than I've ever taught them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, it's just a blessing to be around them, and she's she's a good mule, and normally she's just willing. But right then she just she says no I'm not I'm not gonna do this exactly like you want. Which meal is this you're talking about? That Tilly meal. Tilly. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. just. Uh, We've had some adventures with Tilly in the past too. There's some stories there with old Tilly, huh? Yep. She, well, she got hurt when we was packed in order to Colorado when I tipped yep. over in that creek, and so she didn't feel good for several years. Yep. And she was hurt, and I've just started working again with her this year, and she's. She's got a little age on her now and a lot of strength. Yeah. And, uh, but, but she's got a real good demeanor, soft eye, calm, easy to, easy to be around, easy to shoe. And I, I like that. I can handle her and I do my own shoeing. So it's important that she's easy. Um, so sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say. So usually on these podcasts, I would tell everybody how we met, but I don't know how we met because <laughs> I was a child. So why don't you tell why don't you tell them how we met? Since I don't know. Well, <laughs> well I might could shed some light there. Uh, your dad, Dion, Dion Evans, and I go way back. Dion was uh, in the Mule Club. I think he was even the president of the Mule Club, the Rocky Mountain Mule Association, that's time. that's based here in Utah. And uh, I joined that club just to ride with other people that were like-minded. Now, mules are awfully popular today. A good mule is is uh, worth a lot. But when we first started muling, as I call it, uh, back in the early 80s, there just wasn't that many people using mules, especially for, for saddle stock. Mm-hmm. And uh, they... They mostly used them for pack strings, and very few people would ever jerk a pack string riding a mule, and we do it all the time now, don't think nothing of it. Mm-hmm. And th- there's still a few people that, that prefer to ride a horse, and I, I get that. Uh, but anyway, to back to how we met, as we joined that club and started riding, and then there's your dad, and your dad was... Dad's kind of an old school cowboy. He he gets it done, but he uh, I recognized that Dion was was a lot of fun to be around. A good hand with the horse, a good hand with the mule, and a good dad. And he brought his children on them on those rides, and that's where we met. I remember being down the Valley of Fire. The different people would sponsor a ride every month, and my friend John Wallenzine and I would sponsor that ride down to the Valley of Fire. And uh, 
we'd had your your father-in-law Larry come down, and of course he brought his kids, and uh, they lived nearby us, so I knew knew Larry well, and and uh, I remember when you and Sky would play up in the rocks and be up there hidden from us, <laughs> and we'd we'd see you look up over the red rocks, and we'd. Hey, there's Sky and Ty up there. Well, that drive Larry crazy, even though he was just kids. It yeah, drive him crazy. You're just little, <laughs> you're little kids. And I thought yeah. I had a picture of that somewhere, but I couldn't couldn't find it. But anyway, that that's how we met. It's through, okay. it's through, it's through your your dad, uh, being in a mule club and mule mules. I guess is what brought us together. I think that's how you meet a lot of people though yep. now, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I can, I can. Uh, most most folks I know, most friends outside of probably outside of church would be through meals, you know. But yeah. yeah, my old man he took us everywhere. All of us boys and, and my sister, he'd take us everywhere. We every weekend we were riding or camping or doing something. But yeah, I uh, I'm glad you told me that because you know as far back as I can remember, I've just known Jim Huggard. It was just you just guy that's been part of my life my whole life, you know. I so, anyways. Now I know. One one thing I always liked about your dad, and I I used it, I took it from him, but he he would say, uh, "Hey Jim, what, what are we doing? <laughs> well, we're riding our mules." He says, "No." He says, "What we're doing, Jim, is we're making memories." Yep. He'd but, say that all the time. He but, still does. Does yep. he? Yep. Yep. So I think that's important. That's he would holler out, "We're making memories." Yep. <laughs> yep. We're making memories. Yeah, we did too. We made a lot yeah. of them. And he he was a dang good cook too. Yeah, you know, if you're a good cook, you you can make friends pretty easy. My dad's been a good cook, and he's got a lot of friends. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he is. Anybody that cooks always gets invited places. And, yep. Yeah. So, he's, so yeah. yeah, yeah, he's a good hand around the cook stove too. So, so yeah, that's that's uh, where our our life together began. All right. Way back then. So let's uh, let's go way back further yet to when you got into mules. You, you mentioned this to me earlier, and we kind of said, "Oh, hold up, let's save that for the podcast." So um, tell me about your your journey of getting into this whole mule mule business. Well, my brother called me one day, and he says, "Hey, I've got a new mule." We went him and his business partner went back to Tennessee and bought this Tennessee walking mule. And they called her Bambi. And she was a young mule. And he says, let's go ride. And we went out on the West Desert. What was the West Desert then? It's all houses now out there where uh, Eagle Mountain is. That was all just sagebrush. Mm -hmm. We went out there riding. We used to call it Tickville. Yeah. And uh, we went out there to ride. And he, he brought this mule. And... He says, uh, and we we run our mules and horses together, or horses together. And he says, he says I'm actually partners with Glenn on this mule, but I'm going to bring it up and turn it out with the horses. I says, gosh, we we're not having mules there. We just we don't we don't that thing's ugly. We don't need that thing. And uh, he says, no. He says, you don't get it. And he was right, I didn't get it. So then we packed into the book cliffs, and uh, I was cleaning up breakfast, 
And I looked over and they'd put my saddle on this mule. And they said, <laughs> hey, you're going to ride a mule today. I says, no, I'm not. I says, we've saddled it and you're going to ride it. You just need to try it. And I says, okay, I'll try it. So they made sure we got into some real rough country. We got off the trail and got going through downfall and over some little jumps. And they says, we got back to camp. They says, okay, now tell us how that mule ride was for you. And we talked about it as we rode. But anyway, after that, I guess I was converted. That mule just went through all that rough country. And so it wasn't long before we had quite a few mules. And then it wasn't too many more years and we actually bought a jack. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had that jack about 20 years. And we ended up with a bunch of different mares. Uh, the market said that gated mules is the ones that sold. And our jack wasn't gated, but he just, he threw a good disposition. And I've still got some mules out here that are, were sired by that old jack. The oldest mules would be in their 20s, well into their 20s. And the youngest one we got out here, I think, is eight. And uh, anyway, we never did really raise. Uh, I've had a couple of mules that, uh, that racked as when they were born as babies but as they as they progressed i never could get it back out of them hmm. even though i know it's there have you ever heard of that oh yeah well oh, you know you're racking your running walk those things got to be developed yeah it takes a lot of work mm -hmm. some of them have it a little bit more natural but anyways well the other side of that you get you know we had walking horses too you know we started out with quarter horses but because of the mule thing we we got into walkers and and uh one of my mentors building saddles and and uh and mules would be clyde edwards and clyde evolved too he when i first met clyde he had arabian horses and had won several shows but clyde ended up with a lot of trophies from mule days and uh he had a bishop mule days yeah a ton of ton of trophies yeah, he's he's won gated classes. Okay, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, he had a pack string of mules in the Rose Parade. He's been on the cover of Western Mule. Uh, he wrote articles for, uh, like you do, for for Mule magazines. And <laughs> yeah, a real interesting man and a real good friend. And uh, I learned a lot about the uh, mules from Clyde, and I learned a lot about saddle making. But Clyde, Clyde told me, he says, I don't know why you're, even though he showed in gated classes uh, at mule days, he, he says that the jackass has a natural gait, yep. a, a natural shuffle. And he says a lot of times that's more desirable than, than a run and walk. And these, the mules I have out here now, they're both out of quarter horse mares, so the best mule I've ever had, and he steps out nice. He's he's out of a Joe Hancock bred quarter horse mare, and uh, he's a, a an old foundation type quarter horse. Now that mule's twenty years old this year, 
and he can still travel with about anybody. And uh, I've worked worked cows on him. And talking about is that Oscar you're talking? Yeah, about? that's yep. old Oscar, and that that's a picture of him over there on the wall herding cows. Yeah, Jim's got pictures of mules and all sorts of adventures here on these walls. I wish I had a little video. Maybe I'll take a video before I leave, but pretty cool stuff here. Oh, it's just stuff we've gathered up that we've done over the years. and, and uh, But so driving's been a big thing for us. We've got several wagons, and uh, we've uh, that's been a real blessing to be able to, to drive mules and and uh, take people with us. We had some friends here from Hawaii that, and the, the one guy, he was born in Illinois and raised on a farm and been around livestock and, and whatnot. And we had him here to our farm in, in August. They were here. And uh, we fed them lunch and then took them out and hissed the team and took them on a wagon ride. And it's just something you can do with the, a small child, a baby in arms, or you can do it with a, a great grandmother that mm -hmm. still needs a cane if you can get her up the step and in the buggy. So it's that's that's what driving does for you. And I personally, I like to. I think the best mules in, that I've ever had are ones that drive and pack and ride. If they can do all three things uh, and do them well, I think driving sometimes takes away uh sometimes we get on their mouth a little more than we want and i think it can yeah. harden them up a little bit uh but the ver versatility is good though yeah and uh you know i i don't do much driving um well i don't do any driving unless i'm hanging out with you or some other friends you know what uh, yeah. uh but uh, that versatility is something that i feel like uh has, has faded away from a lot of equine culture just across the board you know well you got to have this this horse for if you're gonna work cows you got to have this horse if you're gonna you know you're gonna go uh, compete and run barrels or something and the the, the versatility is, is kind of fading out so you're right uh you know the mule that can ride and can pack and can drive that's a pretty valuable critter it is. And you go to some of these cells, uh, th those are the mills that are bringing the the, the bigger money. Yeah. The ones that have that. Uh, yeah, if you can stand behind a mill and, and uh, hitch it up and uh, have it just... I like it when they'll step over when you ask them to. Mm. And, uh, or, you know, if you give them a little bump, they, they learn. They learn voice commands just like riding, and uh, ultimately that's what we want. Uh, so we, we, uh, you know, if I can drive them and get them to stop without pulling on their mouse, that's ultimately what I'm after. Yep. Yeah, yeah. If I can just get them to do it by voice, that to me that's the ultimate. If I can get them to G right or ha left, yeah, and uh, with without picking the lines up yep. and then if I do pick the lines up make sure that I'm I'm still talking to them so they they have the correlation between the the word and the and the, what the lines reinforcing so yeah it's it's a big deal but we picked up a team of mules down in Texas 
and I I don't know. Uh, we got them home, and they're just a little hotter than what I thought they'd be. You're talking about your team you have out here now? That I haven't yep. drove yet. Okay. I've never drove them. We bought them last June, and here it is November. I still haven't <laughs> hitched them. But yeah. I needed a couple of pack mules. I had a hunter coming out and uh, from Michigan to hunt back here, up here behind Nebo. And my wife says, uh, I really don't want you using my little team pack. And she says, you're going to have to use them other two mules. And I thought, well, they haven't even packed. They've mm -hmm. never packed. They, in fact, is the one's never been ridden. They've never even had a saddle on it. Uh, when I bought it, I asked the guy if they had ever rode it. He says, no, but I got a guy coming over, and I'll have him ride it. And he put the saddle on, and that mule didn't know a thing about it. Oh, yeah, you told me about that. He just sat there for a minute. And yep. Then just kind of sulked up a little. It was crazy. I've never seen anything like it. I didn't think a mule could be around that long, but I guess they were Amish raised mules and just been used for work, you know, and they're scared to death of the four-wheelers and the mm -hmm. tractor and everything else. They haven't been around it, but I brought them out here and I tied them both to the hitch rail. They like to be together. They're terrible that way. Uh, and I, I took them and packed them here at the house and uh, ultimately I packed my gear into this camp with them and uh, I had another mule in the string with, that was already that had packed and I put her on the lead and put them two at the back and and uh, it took them a while to line out but they I told my wife I said you know they're mules I think they'll they'll handle it we just take it slow and easy and before the trip was over, they they were behaving good on the high line in camp. Uh, the one I left hobbled up, he's sitting pod, and I I hobbled him up on his uh, on his legs and uh, let him learn not to paw a little bit, and he did he done pretty good. And uh, when the guy shot a nice six point bull elk, and and uh, I packed a lot of elk and done a lot of a lot of uh, hunting and guiding over over my lifetime, and and uh, done a lot of packing. And uh, anyway, I quartered those that elk up and took it away from the kill spot. And and then a trick I learned from an old guy: you can put a little Vicks vapor rub near the nostrils of a mule so he doesn't smell the blood and uh, that's just a trick you can do but uh, anyway ultimately those mules had never packed never been ridden ended up being pretty good pack mules and packed out elk all in one trip there you go so see their their value went up right then yeah yeah so in in my mind mm -hmm. they might not that might not be valuable to somebody but it is to me yeah so now I know that I've got a, a set of mules out there that I could I could probably pack. So how, how are you going to introduce these mules to driving again here? What are you going to do to prepare them? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I've harnessed them up out here, and uh, they're quiet to harness. Uh, they understand that. You can tell that they've been uh, acclimated to that and desensitized to that. 
desensitize the collar and the, the harness around their, their butts and all the straps, the quarter straps. I've had Mills' little cow kick you when you go to hook them, <laughs> them quarter straps up. You'll be down yeah. right down by its side and they'll... And these ones didn't bother you, so you, that's good. You pull that... You pull that quarter strap across their flank and under mm -hmm. to the belly band, and they they well that's a little goosey. You know, mm -hmm. these mules are good that way. I I don't think I'd be a bit uh, scared to hook them up. I've just got to find the time, and and mm -hmm. when I do, I'll I'll uh, I'll start them out in the in the arena mm -hmm. where I have a, a confined area. But I'll ground drive them. I'll I'll have them together and drive them. I've actually the one that uh, I want to make a saddle meal out of it. I've had it in the I've had it in the round crowd the saddle, and I've been doing all the groundwork with it. And I've stepped up on the saddle, and she don't care. I think she'll I think they'll be fine. Good. I hope it turns out that way. <laughs> so you'll yeah, know you, you you'll do. know if it don't. <laughs> well, yeah. you just. I like to do it right the first time, and, you know, try to, I like to make it as successful as I can, and, and I imagine it's the same thing with the driving, you know, um, you know, my world is, is obviously the riding world making bridle mules, but I imagine it's the same thing when you're driving them, you, you want to, you want it to be successful, so it's not a, you know, yep. not a miserable thing for them to, to pull something around. No, and I, I think they enjoy it, you know, you go out and hits a team up and and uh i think they they actually enjoy getting out and, and doing that uh i think the team you know driving as a team is is really good for them to you know they're herd animals and they like to to be with another one so driving with a team probably a little is it easier to teach them as a you know to, in teams rather than driving singles or do you like to drive them single first no, I've always, I've never drove one single that I haven't drove double. Okay. I ground drive them single and, and do much the same uh, that way. But uh, So will you hitch them up both, uh, these two together, or will you hitch one with maybe, because you got a, you got a lot of good mules here that can drive plenty good. Will you hitch them with something that you know will drive good? Nope, I won't get them out of their comfort zone from their buddy. I'll I'll hitch them together. Cause these two you're talking about, they're pretty mothered up to each other. They they, they are, and I'll best pals, huh? I'll leave them together. I think I was showing you when you was over here in in the summer that uh, tongue I I welded up mm -hmm. that uh, I can actually put an unbroke mule in the middle of two broke mules, and uh, that's a good way to start them. I've I've started. Uh, several teams for people over my life and uh i'm kind of self-taught that way and i i would uh you know picking up tips from people that did drive mm -hmm. uh, you know of course mel anderson who's huge influence on my life uh he always drove single he says i don't know why you think you need a team <laughs> and uh clyde edwards who was the other equal influence on me he he built a chuck wagon that was pretty much historically correct with a pup on the back and he was happiest when he had a six up on it wow. when two mules could have pulled that easy i've uh, helped clyde with in parades and clyde's been in wagon trains with that and uh, 
uh, anyway, that's so that's two differences of opinion mm -hmm. coming from two different places, and, yeah, and then I'm somewhere in the middle, yeah. and uh, I've never drove a six up. We've we've uh, done four up, and that's a handful. Now it's it's all a handful to me. You know I, you know me. I've spent my whole life making bridal mules, and then, you know, I can handle. It's funny. I could you could put me in a string. I could handle five or six pack mules, but when I was over here and you was having me help you hitch up just two of them, all them straps and things. Boy, for a fellow like me that's really unfamiliar, that was, that was like. This is a lot of stuff. Where <laughs> I can go, I can go pull a pack string in it. I don't blink twice at it. But all those, all that driving. So yeah, everybody's got their thing, right? Everybody likes. Yeah. I would like to, you know, Jim here. He has invited me to come over this winter. Now that I'm off of my clinic tour, to come hang out and learn more about driving. I'd like to do that because I think it's, well, you know me. I like to learn. Oh I'm yeah. Always, I always like to learn something, something I, else. I think you. I think you should learn. Uh, yeah to drive it'll be it'll be fun and and you driving to you will just be natural because you've been around it all your life and it's not not a whole lot different than riding you know it's like packing you know you you need to know we we get in a pretty good discussion sometimes and we get at the trailhead and are you going to throw a double diamond there or a single diamond and uh, or or an arizona box hitch or you know, but it depends on what it is. You know, if, if we're going to pack uh, uh, 50 gallon drums, we're going to use a barrel hitch. If we're going to pack bells of hay, we'll use a barrel hitch. If we're going to stand uh, wall tents up straight up, we're going to use a, a squaw hitch. So, uh, with a bird's foot, maybe. And, and so, I think it's important to know the different, the different things. And I think, like packing, driving's just another one of those things, just mm -hmm. to, just another another avenue. And it, one thing I've enjoyed with driving is I don't I don't have a ton of time to spend with the animals uh, as I'd like. I mean, you, you know, that's your life, your business. You get to do that every day, and I I don't do it every day, and and should do more more with it but uh, I can hitch that team up and I can tie four other critters to the back of that wagon and take them down the road with me <laughs> you can get you can get all your work done in an hour well and that <laughs> that's how I ultimately <laughs> if I had a young if I had a two-year-old or three-year-old I was starting that's exactly what I'd do with it I'd just take it on the back of that wagon with the team and let it get used to the sights and the sounds mm -hmm. and once i seen it was comfortable with that and just coming along easy then i i could either put a pack saddle on it or i could put a harness on it and then bring it along yep and then uh, then i might tie it up to the, a little more to the front and just let it get used to that and just get it get it desensitized to the sights and the sounds and the smells of all that that's going on oh, and there's lots to see out there too you know i yeah I, I realized that when we came out here you know we brought our we brought ellie and swayze out here and we went for a little wagon ride around town here um joe's from uh jim's from levan utah here and anyway jim took us out here and 
Well, you got dogs running out, and you got kids running out, and you got bikes, you got fours, you got these side by sides, you got, uh, gosh, you got a lot of stuff. So, and that's something that you know the type of riding I do. Um, you know, my mules get exposure basically in two places. They get exposure, you know, a lot of stuff on the mountain, and you know, working with cattle and things like that, packing and riding, or at clinics. But I, I mean. I can't tell you the last time I just rode around town, you know, and yeah. so boy, just taking them, taking these mules out around town, that's quite an adventure. <laughs> it it that, is. That fellow roping that, that dummy. Yeah. Remember that? Those yeah. mules, they sure didn't know what to think about that, huh? No, the dummy had them tripped up. Yep. What is that? Yep. yep. Well, when we hitched up a uh, week before last, we stopped by that same guy's place and he was out there again mm-hmm. and they did a lot better. Good. And then we had him actually get his little girl, and he come and got on the wagon with us. So, oh, good. Yeah, so, and then we talked to him a little bit about what we were doing, and he's, he's a horseman. He has mm-hmm. some real nice blue valentine horses. They they run about 200 mother cows. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these guys are these guys are excellent ranch ropers and, and excellent cowmen. I guess that's what, what you get if you're out there practicing on your front lawn with a dummy. Yeah. But... <laughs> Yeah, I wish I had time to rope more. That's something that I don't get enough, yeah, enough chance to do. And that that's what all my mules need to learn is mm-hmm. to. I roped off old Oscar, and he hates it. You know that kind of brings me up to my the next thing that I wanted to talk about here, and I didn't write it down there, but just thinking, you know, uh, among our our friends that you and I associate with, Jim and I have a lot of common friends. Uh, you know, but you're one of the only ones like me that really appreciate this great basin style of horsemanship and this buckaroo tradition. You know, Jim, uh, Jim just lives over the hill for me. It's only 13 miles to my house, but we got to go around the mountain, though. But um, we, we live on what they call the buckaroo fringe, uh, which is the Wasatch range here. We're, we're on the edge of the Great Basin, and... Anyways, something I've always appreciated about Jim, and he was one of those, these fellows that actually really introduced me to this stuff, is this buckaroo style of yeah, lifestyle, right? It's a lifestyle. It's some cool stuff, so maybe talk about that a little bit. Well, I, I don't know. I, I've i never made a real bridal horse or a real bridal mule like you have. I've, I... Uh, Got a hackamore, got one out in the, the tack room and, and uh, been read quite a few books and watched videos, but I haven't uh, had a real first-hand influence other than just what I seem to be drawn to. And I really like a good handle on a on an animal and appreciate that that's what i admire about you and i admire about your father-in-law larry he just has a real gift and skill set to be able to put a handle on an animal now when you get out and cut cows and you know this time of year i could i could i could have went and worked cows today had a guy a couple of guys in here uh, yesterday that was looking at some shafts and 
invited me to go with them uh, last week. I could have went three days. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so this time of year, they're always looking for an extra hand. And I do go out and day work just for fun, not for money, just to help these guys out and spend a lot of time. And and uh, when I go with them, they're they're usually just gathering. They're, they're bringing their animals off the mountain. And it's not a lot of... Uh, cowboy and when I first went out here with Harpers they owned about 16 17,000 across their freeway out here acres wow. that's a lot of cows yeah and that they run well not that many cows acres oh, acres dated acres okay and they they run a couple of hundred head of mother cows and when you know they when you go out and work with them you're just going out to gather and when I first showed up out there on a mule, they kind of thumbed their nose. <laughs> and uh, anyway, yep. when when at the end of the day, when you get the work done, now they call you up and beg you to come because mm-hmm. they they appreciate what a mule can do out there. Yeah, I found that they I got a few buddies that say, you know, hey Ty, we don't like riding down in that wash, but there's some cows down there. <laughs> you you yep. you go take your mule down there. So I. I get that. That's yeah. They'll give you a canyon yep. to drive, but yep. these these guys don't. Uh, when they bring them into brand, they're 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 running them in a tub and and uh, corrals, and they're they're separating the the calves from the mothers, and, mm-hmm. and they've got them all balling on the outside of that corral in the tub, and they're they're doing most of their work on foot. There are a few places here in town that that. D- that have kind of uh, uh, gravitated to the the buckaroo method, and they're they're working them with uh, guys that can rope. And uh, I I would like to get involved more with those guys. And, yeah, uh, it's interesting seeing that it's kind of a I'd say the last decade has been a little bit of a a revival or a what do you call it, a renaissance of yep because it seems like um, you know, a lot of these traditions, a lot of these ways of handling livestock and working with horses and mules was lost during the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. It's like, you know, somebody, will, it's funny, somebody will call like, uh, well, like a fellow that, that uh, maybe is a little rougher, or a little bit um, in a hurry, or uh, a little bit more ram jam with mules. They'll say, he's old school. When, when really, if anybody's old school, it'd be a fellow like me. I, you know, the stuff I do is ancient, right? It's, yeah, but, it is. But, but it's uh, because of the Renaissance style of it. They say, oh, well, that's, that's some new stuff. It ain't new. Nothing new about it. And same thing with working with cattle and handling that is we got in a hurry after the, you know, the Industrial Revolution. We get in a hurry. We got to process more. We got to be quicker. And it's harder on the cattle, and it, it might save them time but they might lose a little money. And so some of these older traditions are much quieter and easier on the livestock. Absolutely. Yep. So. Yeah, you when you talk about old school, you t- talk about like a, a warrior on a horse or a medieval uh, guy that would go to battle on a horse. Well, that horse would be push-button. Oh, it's got to be. It, it'd be working be off their leg yep. and voice. And uh, because... They've got weapons in their hands, mm-hmm. and so that's that's where 
that's where they traced the vaquero horsemanship too. Oh yeah, is uh, to Europe and the, the Spanish and the others that uh, that's where they made bridle yeah. horses. Yeah. So, well, we've talked a little bit about your driving, and we've talked a little bit about your saddle, your leather work, and and whatnot. Um, but what I'd Jim is full of stories. This guy is one of the best storytellers I know. But you got any uh, either or either or both? Uh, maybe a good your worst wreck you've ever been in. Maybe what we could learn from that, or maybe the funniest story. Maybe those two go together. Maybe they're separate. I don't know. What do you, you got? Any stories you want to share for these folks on here? Well, uh, they say that. Uh, Mistakes give you experience, and experience gives you wisdom. And uh, I've had plenty of, of good wrecks, and usually they're all attributed to just breaking the rules. Yep. <laughs> and, and, and that's that's that, true. That's usually what it comes down to. But mm. I I always think of one wreck, and I to, I told this story the other night while we were camped out down in southern Utah. We were talking about wrecks. And uh, first of all, the first rule I broke was I took these this string up a trail that I've never took a pack string up, and there was an alternate route to go. And this other way was a little faster. And and I knew the string could handle it because they ride rough country. And the, and the alternate route to go is not that much better, but it there there's this one place you have to jump up a rock on the, on the way I chose to go and uh, it's it's a trail that nobody used. It's a trail they used to salt their cattle with, and uh, it's not the main trail. Nobody even knows about the trail, but we had spent some time and cleaned it up. And I thought, you know what, I'll just pop up out of this canyon on this new, on this old salt trail that we had just newly renovated. So that was the first, first thing I did wrong, is I should have went out the main trail that everybody rides out. <laughs> the second thing I did wrong is I, tied off hard and fast oh yeah yeah yep. so a... but they're good seasoned mules except one that's how it always goes right no yep. they're they're good we can we can yeah. we'll be fine we'll be fine <laughs> yep and then the yep. third element to this is i had two hunters that were not riders at all and i had them on and i had my partner there to help me john and uh, these guys were on on just literally kid mules anybody could ride them you could put a three-year-old on these mules these guys were on and all they had to do is be behind my pack string i think i had five mules strung together hard and fast and i was riding a little walking mare a little tennessee walker a little jet black mare nobody had ever rode that horse but me and she was a handful she was a little horse but boy she could travel and uh, i enjoyed riding her uh and but anyway, I got her up on uh, up to this jump rock, and I got her up over this rock. But this young mule I had at the first of the string, and that's where I always put the colts. And I didn't have much on him, and he he couldn't make that jump up over that rock. And he hung back, and I couldn't get that black horse stopped fast enough. Just not. And uh, anyway, he flipped. He flipped over. And uh, it's a real steep side hill down the hill. 
And when he flipped over, he he went over backwards and drugged that string down that, that hillside. Well, the first thing they did is they went through a ground nest of yellow jackets. Oh, no. <laughs> this just gets better. Oh, yeah. It was, it was good. Oh, no. Anyway, I thought I killed it. They rolled down the hill and a tree stopped him. And I've got the, the tree literally split the pack string in two, still tied hard and fast. And the first rule of packing in my mind is you always have a sharp knife. Mm-hmm. And I keep a sharp knife right on my shaft belt. And I ended up cutting a lead rope on just one mule, I think. And uh, anyway, the those guys that were left behind up there, they got stung with the bees, the hunters. <laughs> <laughs> they got it, huh? Yeah, so they, they got it. And... Uh, I didn't get stung. I was coming up and hitting my hat, but uh, I was more concerned about the pack string and got down to them, and and they got stung, some of them. And so it added insult to injury. But it took two hours to clean that mess up, so, so the, at least. And I, I literally thought I'd broke the neck of one mule and how she got out of that. And she was a, she was a little red mule. I had two little red mules, and they were both there a driving team that I also packed and also rode. They, they, those mules could do it all. But I, I thought I'd killed, killed uh, one of them. But it ended up I didn't. But that, that was probably one of the better wrecks I've ever had. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that sounds wild. So I got, them all t- I got them all strung back together. And my buddy that was helping me, John, we were in that together. John was riding this gated mule he had, and it, it was a Foxtrotter mule. This thing, the only reason he kept it, it was the most cold back mule I've ever seen. But this thing would buck about every time he got on it. But he liked it because it could travel about 10, 11 miles an hour in the flat. And so, anyway, uh, I got that string all get gathered back up, got it, John and I did, got them repacked. Well, the Two hunters just sat there on the log and basically watched us. They were upset. Mm. They they thought they'd had a near-death experience, and to us it was another day at work. <laughs> and uh, I got them all strung back together, and this time I put breakaways on them. Okay, we got one lesson learned. <laughs> yep. So I no sooner get them strung together, and John walks over and he, he says, "Let me. I've got them all strung, the lead mill's tied to a tree, I've got everything strung back up. Everything's packed. Got them, got them strung up. And uh, John grabs the lead rope. I get on my little black mare, and I've got her standing there quiet. I says, "Yeah, just bring me, bring me that string over, John, and I'll, we'll get going." I says, "I'll just circle them here and keep them going in a circle where you get on on Smoker." That was the the mule that the Foxtrotter mule that was cold backed. Anyway, he says, all right. So he gets the two hunters on their, on their mounts. I'm circling the string. Everybody's set. We're all set, ready to go. He goes over there. And John rode saddle broncs as a kid, and he can ride anything. I've never seen him bucked off, and I've rode with him for 35 years. Wow. He can flat ride. He just gets in rhythm with them and just goes. 
Anyway, Smoker ducked her head and went to hogging it, and she bucked right through that string. <laughs> oh, no. And this time I had breakaways on. Yeah, there you go. And, and they broke away. <laughs> so oh, now no. they're running all now over. they're scattered. Yeah, so now we was, we was another hour or so getting that gathered up. But that that's probably one of my most memorable wrecks. But well, That's a twofer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, but so... Talking about different meals, gated meals versus, I I want to speak to this if I can, because mm-hmm. we stood that that jack for that all them years, and we we tried to, we bred the Morgan, Morgan mares, gated Morgan mares, that a guy there in Highland had, we we bred the walking mares, foxtrotter mares, quarter horse mares, grade mares. Um, I think we even bred like a an Arabian cross mare, but what I found out, and and we've we've had a couple of gated mules that we've actually bought. We didn't ever raise any that that finished out uh, gated, but the country we ride in, I don't think gate makes anything, in just my opinion, uh, unless you're riding out here down the road down. The, you know, yeah. take going from one end of my farm to the other. I just wondered what your thoughts were there. Oh well, you're right on. It just depends on where you're at. Um, you know, with the, you know, Jim and I here, we're right in the middle of the Rocky Mountains, and we got, I mean, just out his back door here, there's there's some big cliffs and ledges over there, and a lot of rough country where you're not gonna. It doesn't really do you any good to have something that's gonna walk out that fast because you ain't going fast. Yep. It's not beneficial now. You know, I travel all over the world doing these clinics, you know, and yeah, I, I got friends that live in Kansas and, and Missouri and, uh, you know, Nebraska and Oklahoma where, um, yeah, it it's pretty flat. And so, you know, their trail ride, I mean, they might do 30 miles today where, where you and I might ride all day long and go eight. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the difference. It's just the terrain, so... Yeah, it's just personal preference. I will say that, uh, you know, the gated breeds got a little bit more sting to them. They're a little hotter. And the consequence here is is a lot of people that are getting a little age on them. You know, the average age of my participant in my clinics is probably 60 to 70 years old. Really? Yep. Why is that, do you think? Oh, they got time. They got time and they got the resources. They got the resources that they can do it now. They've raised their kids and they're they're you know ready to spend some time on themselves. But anyways, so you get these people that are that age. I'm not knocking anything on age because I, I know some dang tough people that age. But uh, but they they got some back problems. They got hip problems or knee problems, and they're saying I need something smoother. So the gated sounds good that way. But their ability to handle that, what comes with it, is not always there. That's where the problems come in. But, no, teach their own. I mean, I whatever I got, you know, but you're talking to a fella. I mean, I'm, always, I'm obviously biased. I got a pin. What do I got? I got uh, 10 quarter horse mules, and I got one walking mule. <laughs> so I, you yeah. can see my bias there. Is the walking mule uh, gated? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Moves out yep. good? Yep, she got a good run walk on her. Good. And, um, I'd like to see her. Have I seen her? Yeah, Chrome. Oh yeah, Chrome. Absolutely. So she's she can yeah. she can do she she's very versatile, you know. 
and she's my favorite um, myth buster because I get all these folks that are really into the gated stock that have that big voodoo about trotting. Now, you can't yeah. trot. I don't ever trot them. I can do anything on her. I can trot. I can lope. I can do running walk. You know, she can she can do it all. So versatility, like we talked earlier, that's important. Yeah. But Clyde Clyde told me that uh, trot is a natural gait for a mule. Yeah. That they get from their dad. From the jack side, of course, unless you're hennies, and then it's the other, the, other, the mother side. But uh, uh, when you talked about back and knees, and and uh, the first thing that flooded my mind was that person needs a new saddle. <laughs> no, I mean, really. Yeah. I mean, how many saddles you've seen that the stirrups are oh, hanging yeah. the wrong way? And if you got a, I mean, you look at these stirrup leathers, how they're contoured, they're they're set, and when they set on the saddle, yep. And see, they're even. So as oh, they yeah. sit there, they're going to be turned perfect. And we even put a little curve in the fender that wraps around your calf, so you're not breaking them in. They're already oh, yeah. broken. Yep. And that you know the right seat, the right. The right set on a stirrup can make a huge difference to backs and knees. So just throw a plug there for any saddle maker. Oh yeah. Uh, for anybody listening to this, uh, you might consider looking up a good saddle maker. Absolutely. So anyway, let's uh, let's take a quick break here, and then when we come back, we got to thank our sponsors here, um, and when we come back. Let's talk about the saddles for just a minute. And then we've got to do some cowboy poetry here. we got okay. some stuff, so let's take a break here and we'll, come, we'll be right back. All right, I need to thank our sponsors, Mules and More Magazine. They are fantastic. If you are not a subscriber, you need to check out Mules and More Magazine. Uh, Corey Daniels is the editor, and she does a fantastic job. I have been a long-time subscriber, many years, and uh, I remember even as a child growing up, my dad was a subscriber, so uh, great magazine, and Corey gets it better and better every month. Um, if you take a look at the October 2020 issue, you will see my sweet daughter, Ellie, and uh, my cool father-in-law, Larry Pincock, as well as myself uh, on the cover of the magazine and in that particular issue my good buddy Samuel Skelling who has been here on the podcast before um, uh, he uh, wrote a great article about Bryce Candy Mule Days that you all need to read so it's a good magazine you can find them on Facebook look up Mules More you can find them on Instagram look up at Mules More Magazine and of course you can subscribe on their website mulesandmore.com so thank you very much Corey over there at Mules and More we appreciate your support for this podcast. All right, we're back. Um, I'm here with my buddy Jim Huggard, and uh, we're just about to get into talking about some saddles. Um, like we mentioned earlier in the podcast, Jim builds awesome saddles and gear. Uh, we're like I said earlier, we're sitting here looking at the saddle he's got laid out here and beautiful stuff but what I wanted to talk to you about Jim and I've had I've had a couple saddle makers on the podcast you, you know we both have our good buddy Joe G absolutely He's, Joe's awesome and Joe then does a great job yep and then um uh do you know Jeff Pace I do know Jeff so I had good old Jeff on here he he had some fun pack 
packing stories. He's that 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 boy. He's packed. He's he's, he's done dude. he's done more packing than than I ever will, you know. But um, so so they've talked a little bit about saddles and whatnot. But every every one of you guys are different. Um, so why don't you tell the folks here listening about what you like to see in a good built saddle? Um, maybe talk a little bit on specific saddles for mules uh, i mean you, you can imagine the questions i get about mule bars and and um and different equipment and the way saddles are built so you had just before we went to our break here you were just telling you just started talking about your defenders you got laid out right there um he's got these fenders here that are already turned out so that uh they're already shaped up that way so instead of you getting a brand new saddle having to break that sucker in it's already set up. So, Jim, why don't you take it on and tell the folks what you think? Well, back to those uh, stirrups and the fenders. I actually have this jig here that you can see. Yeah, he's good. He's good. And that's uh, a wooden jig with a jack screw in it. Okay. That's what. So, if you ever rode a saddle and you ride it for a while and the, the one leg gets longer than the other, even oh, though yeah. they're in different holes. That's because they the leather stretch different, right? And uh, it's very important where the leather's cut out of a hide. And when we take the back of a a cow hide, when we buy leather, we we use Herman Oak leather typically. And Herman Oak comes inside, so you're buying a, a cow. And I usually buy for a saddle. I buy one right and one left. And the first thing you cut out of them hides is that at the very top is where all the strength is. And the first thing that comes out of that is your stirrup leathers. And so when you get down towards the belly, of course the belly we just pretty much cut six, eight inches off and it just pretty much goes in the garbage. So the down near the belly, that's where you get your gullet underneath the fork. Uh, then... Uh, your cannel can come, it's not, doesn't have any real stress. You need something that's got some body and some firmness. But your, your, the back of that seat can be down towards the, down toward the belly. But the top of the seat, the front end of it, it'd be what you see looking at the saddle, the, your, where your front jockeys are. That's up in the butt, up the top. So that's got to be cut there. So different places in the hide is where you cut. Some you need a little more give. Your swell cover comes down near to the belly because it's got to be able to wrap around that swell and, and uh, fold. So you want a little give in it. And uh, so a cow just like us around their girth, their, their skin's more stretchy. And then in the butt of a cow and then up, up in that is where all your your firm leather is and then up in the neck is where your thickest leather is and then we'll take that neck leather and that's where we start our ground seat and uh, that's probably one of the most important things in a saddle is getting that ground seat in and getting that skived out good and getting a real good seat of course everything starts with a good tree and the guy that builds my trees keith gertz up in Midway, he's hard to get trees from, but I've actually, on several occasions, have actually taken mules to Keith's business 
taken them out of the trailer and he's brought different trees out in the wood. That means in the wood, it's the wooden tree before it's got the rawhide sewed on it. And for mule bars, they of course don't have the twist in that a horse bar does. And uh, he, can, he can look at that. And then one thing that Keith does that a lot of saddle makers or a lot of tree makers don't is he'll build you a different angle. It's not just the width of the gullet, it's the angle of the gullet. Typically 90 to 93 degrees. Uh, so he'll he'll play with that and and so if you can see how the bars and the width and the angle of that gullet is all sits on the back of an animal in the wood and if something's not right then make the changes then so if somebody's riding you know most of us ride several mules like you said you got a dozen mules over there mm -hmm. so you need a saddle that's going to fit a dozen different mules and and for the most part yes but in my mind everybody that rides a lot should have a custom saddle and we I had I had a rancher down here that rides horses and mules and uh, we took his horse his favorite quarter horse it's a real typey blocky foundation type quarter mm -hmm. horse high performance horse these guys have a lot of nice horses uh, and if you went through their, they're like sand peppies, uh, stuff like that. Uh, really well-bred quarter horses. Uh, and the op, but he likes to ride a mule when he herds cows. Sometimes, he just enjoys mule mules. He's got a bunch of mules. But we had him bring his favorite mule and his favorite horse, and we fit in the wood till we found something that matched as close as we could to both. Mm -hmm. And then we build him a saddle. Now that this guy's got the money and got the wherewithal to do that. But but anyway, if you want a saddle that fits perfect, that's the way to do it. But uh, then then it needs to be constructed so everything's right. You start with that tree, it's a good foundation. So if your foundation's perfect and the saddle maker does his job, gets a full plug in it, has the plug run up underneath the bars so you get that support. People always want to get a lightweight saddle, and I want a lightweight saddle, but it's impossible to have a 20-pound saddle and have it be functional and to, for the kind of riding I do. Now, I see people ride Cordura saddles or stuff like that or man-made saddles, and that that's fine. But what what we're doing is tried and true for people that ride long days and uh, enjoy treating their own self and their animal. So it ought to fit them and it ought to fit the animal. Absolutely. I've had people come down and get in their seat and they'll say, well, you need to, you need to take a little more off here or add here. And we can do that easy in the rough seat for a custom saddle because we just simply add more leather or take more leather away. And uh, so anyway, that's that's kind of some ideas. And then you can get into skirts, square skirts, round skirts, 
uh, we'll do a skirt that like this saddle here that we've got today. It's got a small round skirt at the back, and then it and then where the rigging is, it drops down, mm -hmm. and then so that's where you'll get your stability to hold that saddle in place. If we cut that skirt all the way straight across that, uh, it it wouldn't sit that animal as good. So we've got that that stiff leather coming down another what four three four inches mm -hmm. that'll give that stability. So, but a lot of it's what people want. Uh, we can take some weight out of them. We've got a saddle in here on the, on the rack that's where we've got the exposed rawhide on the cantle and exposed rawhide on the swell. And that does take some weight off them. Uh, it's a single rig saddle, so they'd for sure want to be riding a britching and, and it's set back. And that's another thing too. A lot of people uh, that ride mules will sore them up in their elbow and they've bought a saddle at the feed store that's full rigged. And so they can't get that saddle to sit properly on the back behind the scallops in the shoulder. So they've, they've got the saddle run too far forward and that cinch is too far forward and they're always soaring it up. And uh, on a, for a mule, it, that's the you need to be back what we call seven eights. Yeah, that's my that's my favorite seven eight rigging. Yep, seven eights even you can even get back towards three quarter. And then if you ride a britching and you double strap that britching like we do pack saddles, we'll run a we'll run a. Uh, do we need to? You can grab that if you need to. I can just shut it down. need to get it you can that will get it all right so on that uh, pack saddle we have a, a strap off the bridge and it goes to the saddle itself that comes up off the bridge in itself I'm not talking about the spider straps I'm talking about the side quarter straps and then we, and then I do that on a on a saddle and then run one to the cinch as well. And that helps keep this, the saddle back with the top strap and it keeps the cinch back with the bottom strap. And then if you can do that and not sore your animal up in the elbow, it, they're a lot happier. Oh yeah. So, but anyway. Well, especially some of these mules that don't get rode much. They get this big old gut. You know, yep. that, that just pulls everything forward. So, you know, I, I run my bridge in just a single tug, but, but I, uh, but yeah, if folks get these mules that have those those big guts, you know that second tug on the bridging does a lot of good too. Going to that cinch ring. Yeah, it just keeps that cinch yeah. out of the elbow, helps to keep it where it's supposed to be. I have two saddles that I ride, um, well every day. I ride. I have two two rigs that I use, and one is on seven eighths rigging, and the other is a three quarter rigging. And I, um, so I guess just depending on the mule is what I put on, you know, I, if I get something with bigger shoulders, well, uh, I don't know if you see my big mule, Riata, the big red mule, mm -hmm. I got, you know, Riata, oh, she's she got those giant mule. shoulders. Yep. And so the three quarter rigging fits her much better the way that sits that, the, that cinch back and that the way that saddle sits on her back is better than my, my seven eights, you know, and it, it doesn't sound like a lot going from seven eights to three quarter, but it makes a difference on some of those mules. Yep. It's about a full inch. Uh, 
is between them. Yep. Sometimes toward an inch and a half. I could do a whole podcast on saddle fit. Maybe we'll come back and I'll talk to you about saddle fit because that's such a big old subject. There's so many variables to good saddle fit. There, there is, there is. But you know, today they they make amazing pads. Yep. That can take some of the the play out of that. I still pad tight. Uh, I. I, when we were down riding Bryce Canyon last week, I noticed a couple of these guys had them really thick uh, foam pads, and I, I'm still riding a hospital fleece under a Navajo blanket, yeah. like I've done for my whole life, and I don't I don't sore anything out. Yeah, I the biggest pad I'll go. I like three th- three quarter, uh, five star pads are my favorite. Yeah, three quarters that's as big as I'll go. But because the the bigger your pad. The bigger you go on the pad, that's the less contact your saddle has, and the worse your fit. The worse your fit is going to be. That's, that's correct. Because you already have one pad right there on that. Exactly. That fleece is one pad right there. Yep. That that pad. So that, how uh, thick is that? How thick is that fleece on there? Well, it's because it's going to smash down. It's three quarter is but what we. Yeah, and we don't. We've never built a saddle ever that has fake fleece on it. Yep. We only we only use uh, uh, sheep's wool. Right uh that's that's just just the way it is i know there's other things out there available but it's not going to happen here so well, there's a lot of stuff with saddle making that you know i'm i'm all for trying new things uh you know yep. just like we talked earlier if somebody's got a better way of doing something i'm going to pay attention to it absolutely but there's some of these things that have been around for thousands of years and that just are hard to beat they are some of these traditions some of the ways I mean, some of the ways you, you process this leather, and that could be a whole different show too. But well, thanks for sharing your thoughts on the saddles and stuff. Um, before I say, I want to get to your. We got a good poem here to share with you guys, and um, I want to have Jim give us some advice. But is there any other, any any other stories? Any other? You got piles of them. Any other funny stories? Maybe you'd want to share. Oh, I don't. I don't know. Anything I, on top of your, your head there? Can't can't think of any. Uh, if we do this again, I'll I'll share you that one of about the, the dogs getting under the mules. Okay. Yeah, we'll find but, that. Yeah, that was a that was a pretty good wreck that day. I actually broke the bit in half uh, when he started lunging. <laughs> I just got to stay on. I just. Uh, kept a hold of the reins Mm -hmm. but anyway that was a pretty good show but uh this little poem that i wrote about my buddy that uh, said he didn't want to have a mule and we finally talked to him and we we sold him a a colt a yearling molly years ago and uh this story is true. What happened with this is the inspiration for this poem. And most of the poems I write are based on my personal experiences. Not all of them, but most of them. And so I seen this firsthand. And, and uh, what he did with that horse at the end is actually true too. So, <laughs> so, uh, so we've got a good poem here. Let's hear it. So we'll, we'll give you this. This, this is about a friend of mine's uh, mule conversion. Uh, his name's Heber, Heber Hyde. He's a good friend of, of our family's. This guy grew up right next door. Yep, or we, we lived by him for a lot of years. And he had some good horses, and he's a good hand with the rope. I think he's doing senior team roping now, and he's, he's uh, 
lives out where there's a lot of people that team rope and ranch rope and and he's actually gravitated away now from mules so but but we had him in our pocket there for about 20 years with, <laughs> with a lot of good packing with mules and i see that now you know he's can he's retired and has time to rope and enjoying that and and uh a good rope horse, I guess, fits him a little better right now at this point in his life. But when he converted with mules, this is his story, mule conversion. Heber said he hated anything mule. He used horses as a hard, fast rule. Like the rope horse, his line back done, or his little blue roan he rode just for fun, or Pearl or Dolly or his gilding Jake. Only horses in his string when he packed to the lake. One day in a moment when he is feeling weak, Heber bought a mule filly. She was really pretty sweet. He took her on as a project, just to say I told you so. He trained her extra well, kind of just for show. He taught her how to side pass and to back up extremely fast. She could spin on a dime and give a nickel's change. He roped steers on her in the arena and out on the range. Heber trained her to pack all of his gear. The filly was in mule school for well over a year. He trained the little Molly till she neck drained supreme. He rode her the mule and packed horses in his string. He found in down timber she was really tops. If the log was too high for stepping, she just made a little hop. If the trail was faint and rock and rocky or very steep, she was mindful of all four feet. He never lost his seat. He hitched her to the wagon and gave all the kids a ride. The Molly became family to Heber a source of pride. But still, he was embarrassed to be seen riding just a mule. In his heart, he really loved her. In his mind, he'd broke a rule. It caused him consternation, because he truly loved the horse. But the practical inside him said, let nature take its course. He was riding a three-year-old horse filly. She was doing pretty well. When high up in the Uinas, there was a bridge in the trail. Well, the filly balked and backed and threatened to explode. Heber just kept on coaxing and nudged her as he rode. She was finally on the deck with the river down below. Then at that moment she came undone and tried to lose her load. Over the rail they went, rider, horse and all. The worst one wasn't over. Heber broke the filly's fall. <laughs> Heber landed on the bottom, busted up pretty bad, piled up in the river. It was looking mighty sad. The filly was fine, not any worse for wear. Heber lay there helpless. Life just isn't very fair. Well, Chip took Heber to the hospital where he took some days to mend. This is where his heart took over and his mind began to bend. He got it in his head somehow that his horses were no good. He would just use mules from now on when he went out in the woods. It wasn't long that there was just long ears on his place. His conversion was complete. To his horse friends, Heber fell from grace. And what of the little filly who dumped Heber in the ditch? Well, he gave her to his mother-in-law. To Heber, it just seemed to fit. <laughs> There's always a twist at the end of Jim's poems. Well, that's always a true a story. <laughs> but anyway, you can't make it up. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's what makes a poem, I guess, is a story that you can't make up. They tell themselves... Jim's got a pile of poems. I've heard, I've heard dozens and dozens over the years, and I really appreciate those, Jim.
Well, thanks, Ty. So, Jim, I was just telling you when we were on the break here that, you know, this week uh, we've had about, what was it, 13,300 uh, listens on this thing this week. Well, uh, that speaks well to who so you are. We all know, but it just, but with that many folks listening, if you could give them advice, I mean, my, my podcast is called Everyday Mealmanship. And it's, you know, uh, I like to do fun interviews like this, but most of the time I'm giving meal wisdom and tips and, and fixing problems. And, you know, that's, that's what I usually do on this podcast. But you've been through a lot. You've shared some of the stories on here. If you could, if you could give uh, a little advice, what would it be? Well, I, I'm going to go back to that story about that uh, Molly meal I had down in the rocks that I couldn't get her to quite be where I wanted her to be. And uh, I'll tie this into your father-in-law in a couple of ways. And to Joe G. Uh, Joe G's a, a friend of, a uh, real good friend of Ty's and a real good friend of mine. And, and when Joe first got into mules, uh, I started riding with him a little bit. And what I I could see that he wasn't very comfortable with what was going on. And I could also see that he didn't have maybe the best of meals for him. And it looked like it could be problematic for him. And uh, what I told him was that I would like to ride with him. And ultimately, I took him on his very first pack trip. And now he's a seasoned packer. Joe's very handy at packing handles his pack string good and and uh, he's just an all-around good hand now you wouldn't know where he was when I first met him and my advice to him was that my friend Larry's off every Friday get with Larry and see if you can't get and Joe closed his clinic every Friday I says get with get with Larry and see if you can't ride with him and uh, Larry's the kind of guy that'll help you and your mule and you guys will you'll get to where you want to be and so that would be my advice and to myself with that molly now so not just taking an individual like me hanging around ty or hanging around larry to increase my skills but if i want that filly to gain confidence in what she can do that i know she can do if I have somebody, a partner that I could go with, maybe get my son or go with Ty or Larry or anybody that can go through some of them obstacles and then my mule will just follow and that'll help build her confidence. So I think that's, you could use that as a metaphor in about anything in life, be it raising kids or, or whatever. You find somebody that's doing, doing something right. Find a mule that's doing something right. Find a rider that's doing something right. And, and try to learn from them. And uh, I'm going to get one of Ty's uh, CDs from him on, on uh, training these older mules to use. Uh, I know he's got one. I've looked it up. And uh, and uh, and I think that's a good resource too. And and uh, I can't wait to, to view that and, and see if I can pick up some tips. Even as old as I am, I've, I'm a student of... Uh, uh, mulemanship and I'm not anywhere near where I need to be or where Ty is uh, you know I've got 
my specialties, but there's a lot more that I want to learn and a lot more I need to learn. And I think surrounding yourself with people and surrounding yourself with mules that have ability and can teach you and your mule at the same time a lot of times, I think that's probably the best advice I could give anybody. That's great. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, it's a, those, those you hang around with and, you know, what you're exposed to makes a big difference in the way you turn out. I mean, yep. I, I attribute it, you know, uh, my success and the things that I've been able to accomplish thus far in my life and hopefully a lot more yet to come. But, you know, to growing up, you know, being around you and a lot of good people and good family and, uh, yeah, just, what's that, uh, yeah, iron sharpens iron, right? Yep. So, well, Jim, it's been a pleasure having you on this podcast. And um, uh, before we sign off here, I want to say thank you. And and how can uh, people connect with you? How can they contact you? What's the best way? Well, I'm too old and stubborn to have a website. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my the way I've done business forever is just word of mouth. Uh Never had a name on a truck or anything. We do have business cards, but the best way to get me is 801-830-0747. We we build uh, a lot of chinks, uh, a lot of shafts, leggings. Uh, We've been building some step-ins that uh, we've uh, really had a large success with and created quite a following with these step-ins and what I like about those is you know most of us have leather seats in our truck and we can get off that mule and still have our shafts on and get in there and not have buckles yeah barking up our seats so anyway that's how to catch me all right if you don't get me leave me a message or shoot me a text and you're on the you're on the Facebook too aren't you yeah, I do. I do Facebook, and it's under uh, Jimmy. My granddaughter set that up, but I'm actually going to move over to Parlor. Uh, we're going to go over there, and I hope to have it as Jim Saddleman. But we'll see if that pans out. I haven't got worked through it yet, but okay. we'll see what we can do there. Huh? Yep. Well, thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. Thank you, Ty. Thanks for coming over to the shop. Appreciate yep. it. It's yep. good to see you as always. Yes, sir. Well, you guys. Uh, Thanks for tuning in today. If I could ask you one favor, I would really appreciate it if you would go to, uh, specific, specifically on Apple Podcasts, if you would go, give me a five-star review and and leave some comments. Tell me what you think of this uh, episode today, and I'd really appreciate that. So thank you very much. God bless you all, and we'll see you next time.